guys, thank you for listening to Put Your Belt on America. Today is episode four with uh, the crucifixion and its significance to us. My name is Nathaniel Adams, and today I have with me Trent Barksdale and Cameron Abbey. Trenton, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well. Cameron, how are you? I'm fantastic. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we have uh, scheduled for you today the crucifixion and its significance. And we invite you to take your Bibles and follow along if you so desire. Uh, Cameron and I plan to use the New American Standard Translation. Uh, we'll start by using Psalm 22 in the first 18 verses. If you would like to follow along, we see that this is a very well-known psalm for a lot of reasons. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Yet you are He who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, and a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, my name is Trenton Barstow, and I have my good friend and cousin Cameron here with me. Cameron, when you read this psalm, what exactly comes to mind uh, when you read these verses and think about our topic of the crucifixion and its significance? You know, to me, this passage is so moving and for so many reasons, the description that you get of this servant that we know, obviously later on, is is Jesus on the cross as he's crying out to God, and you see these horrible things that are happening to him. You know, no doubt, you know who this is. If if you've read the Bible, if you know um, this psalm at all, you know this is pointing to Christ and what happens to him. And you know, today we want to talk about these events and the significance of what Jesus did on uh, the cross and with his death. Absolutely. And one thing to mention, too, is that everything in Scripture led to this moment, like you were saying. We see throughout the Old Testament how right from the very get-go, as we'll talk about here in a minute, how God had a plan. And all the Old Testament pointed toward Jesus as being the one that would suffer the things that we just read here in Psalm 22. And then, think about all of the New Testament and how it pointed back Absolutely. to Jesus. Because 
when you sit and think about how the Old Testament and the New Testament point to this central figure of how Jesus was meant to come to this earth, to live among us as a perfect man, and not just as a man, but to be the Son of God, and then for him to give up his life in the ways that we read just now. It's just mind-boggling, as Paul would later say in Ephesians chapter 2, how the apostles and the prophets were meant to be the foundation with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. He's trying to say the apostles were pointing back to Jesus, the prophets pointing forward. And so as we study together, I want you to take your Bible, study along, and let's see how the crucifixion is indeed significant to us as humanity today. The first point that I would like for us to consider uh, in our episode together is well, why exactly the cross? Why would God want Jesus to suffer something so horrid, so nasty, if you wanted to put it that way? Yeah, you know, there's so many ways that he could have chosen to, to die. Very true. Uh, he could have been stoned. He could have been hanged. Mm -hmm. So many other ways of doing this that would have been so much less painful. You know, today in our uh, system of when we do executions here in the United States, it is supposed to be the least painful way possible oh, yeah. to, um, to kill a person. This, the Romans, and the way they did this thing was the exact opposite. It was supposed right. to be the most painful and excru excruciating way possible mm -hmm. to, um, to uh, kill someone. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So when we think about why the cross, let's also ask ourselves, well, why this particular cross? Why the cross of Jesus? And we'll answer that question as well. Again, if you have your Bibles, please follow along, study with us. And if you happen to have any questions, don't hesitate to think about those and consider them so that way you can see what the And reach out, saying. too. Um, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely reach out to this podcast. If you have any questions on in any of these topics that we discuss uh, today and uh, any of any of the ones you read through yeah don't hesitate to email us any of your questions that you might have and I know that we'll be glad to try to answer any questions and all questions that you may have we'll seek to give you a Bible answer because we believe that the Bible is the ultimate source of authority for anything with regards to Christianity okay so as we consider the questions why the cross and why this particular cross we need to first consider God's timing in Galatians chapter 4, if you don't mind turning over there with us, I would like for you to consider a couple of uh, verses here that discuss God's timing being just right, if you wanted to put it in the way we talk today. Galatians chapter 4, and read with me verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now when you sit and think about what Paul is trying to discuss here, he is mainly discussing how we can become uh, sons of God in Christ. And in verses 4 and 5 in particular, this is how we can see that God made his timing perfect. It says there that it was within the fullness of the time, meaning God wanted this to be at just the right moment. Cameron, can you explain how exactly, with Christ's cross and his crucifixion and everything, how it was meant to be at just the right time? Yeah, well, I mean, you can kind of see, that even from secular history, the things that have gone on in the world up to this point in time. You look back, you see that Alexander the Great had come through and had Greek, the entire language, 
of the known world of that time. Um, the Romans have made roads, have made things just so easy to get around on. Right. That is building to this point that God is going to deliver Christ here on a cross, even with the Romans having that way of execution, um, to show us how horrible our sins are. And not only that, but they have all these, these ways of going around, building this up to the exact moment that God had planned to make it for the gospel to go out the easiest and best way possible right. to spread the gospel in so many good ways. And I believe that's a lot of what he's talking about here, mm -hmm. this fullness of time. Everything is built up to this, right? And, and now it's been delivered. Absolutely. Very good points. And... Just stopping to think for a moment about what crucifixion entails. Uh, crucifixion, as Cameron has mentioned, is one of the most heinous forms of punishment. In fact, it is possibly the worst form of capital punishment known today because, again, as Cameron noted, it is one of the most painful uh, compared to our society who has the least painful with the lethal injection and all sorts of other things. But with crucifixion, Imagine seeing those railroad spikes on your uh, railroad tracks that you may have in your uh, communities and how big those are and how thick those are. Because our nails today, they, they're very thin, they're very short, but the nails they used in Roman times, they were like railroad spikes. Imagine those being nailed through your hands and your feet for one second. Let me encourage you also to just press your thumb into your palm as hard as you can. That is, it's, pain, it's just a little bit painful by doing that, but just imagine it going all the way through your palm. And not only that, this is actually where a major nerve is located. Being a nurse, I can tell you that uh, having this pain is something that is something that you would not want to experience. And also in your feet, it would just be something excruciating to think about. And then also consider what Jesus endured before the cross. I know Cameron would agree with me on this. When Jesus endured his scourging, when Jesus endured being mocked, when he endured having a crown of thorns twisted and placed on his head and even maybe even pressed into his forehead, that scourging that he endured that we just mentioned, imagine just taking a leather whip and embedding pieces of metal, of glass, bone, and then having that whipped across your back meant to tear that flesh from your back away from your bone. It's just unimaginable. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's something that it's hard to picture for us today. And we should appreciate this more and more about mm -hmm. what Christ is doing and that through him and through this form of execution, he's going to die so that we may live one day. Absolutely. And I do believe that this death, the way he dies here and what happens before him, as you're saying, shows to us and reminds us how horrid and how evil, how disgusting our sins are. That yeah. he had to go to such lengths to die that way and kind of portrays that idea that our sin is horrible. And, and so painful. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's enough to make you shudder if you really want to be honest and think about it. 
uh, some other verses that talk about why this particular cross or why the cross in general. Think back to what Jesus, or not what Jesus said, but what God said in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Because if you remember what happened in the verses prior, Adam and Eve had partaken of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God had specifically said, you must not do that. And even told uh, Satan when she was uh, getting ready to be tempted, or she wasn't ready to be tempted, but it happened anyway. We see that she, uh, she was telling Satan, we can't eat that fruit, nor can we even touch it, otherwise we're going to die. And so the devil or Satan, whoever you want to call him, he says, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And you can see how she fell for that temptation. She ate of that fruit. And both Adam and Eve died that day. Not physically, but spiritually. And God told the devil, because of what he did, he's going to, provide, he's going to make enmity between humanity and him, basically. And how eventually this person was going to come and he was going to bruise Satan's head but yet he would bruise uh, this seed's heel. And as we know, go ahead, Ken. You know, you talk about this person that is going to come, which is obviously Christ when mm-hmm. he comes and dies, um, this horrible death. And we are focusing on his death today. Right. There, are, there were no telling thousands of people that were crucified mm-hmm. in Roman time. Absolutely. And it, maybe even before then or after then. But it is who is on the cross that makes this significant. Right. And it is because it's Jesus, God's only son, who came and died for us. Right. Uh, and that's the part that really makes this, this significant. Because there are other Christians that will die by crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And it is sad and it's horrible. Right. And, and, yeah, our, we are focusing on, on the cross today. Right. But, yeah, we do need to remember that it is... Jesus, and it's because of who he was, and him coming to earth, living as a man, suffering in this way, uh, living a sinless life, a perfect lamb for us, that um, we might have salvation through him. Absolutely, very good point. And I like how you mentioned there that there were thousands upon thousands of people that were crucified every day, and that couldn't be any more true, because Literally, the Romans used this as their form of execution. And so often today, we hear people wanting to point to a different kind of cross for their salvation, and that being the one of the thief that was next to Jesus who asked the Lord to remember him when he came into his kingdom from Luke 23. But we need to understand that even though that thief had faith, even though that thief understood who Jesus was, he's not the one that provides the forgiveness of sins. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was born in Bethlehem, the one who would live that sinless life that Cameron was just talking about. And we'll read this passage later, but we'll read John chapter 19, so if you don't mind, go ahead and have your Bibles marked at that particular chapter, and we will read about that particular cross here in a little while. But when you think about the cross and everything that Jesus was about to experience, we need to think going back to thinking about the Bible as a whole for one second, how prophecy, how it's such a valuable part of the scriptures. And how this, this moment is foretold in many ways mm-hmm. in scriptures. We, I mean, we, we read, we began with Psalm 22, mm-hmm. obviously foretelling uh, what is going to happen. Right. 
Absolutely. And we can see that even well before David was even a thought, as far as human terms go, we can see that um, the Passover feast that we read about in Exodus chapter 12, it actually foretells as well what Jesus would experience. And I don't know about you, Cameron, but it's kind of interesting, it's kind of ironic too, that the Passover was the feast going on at the time he was crucified. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think that that's um, just circumstance either. You know, I think that, that had something to do with it, kind of showing that he is our Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. is the way that, that the Passover lamb was to those uh, Israelites way back when, when they were leaving Exodus. Right, yeah, they were leaving Egypt and getting ready to leave, and it looked like they had plundered. So if you don't mind, let's go ahead and read a few verses together talking about the Passover, what they had to do for it, and we can actually see how this uh, foretold Jesus being on the cross for us. Go again with me to Exodus chapter 12, and let's consider together uh, the first 13 verses first, and let's see how exactly Jesus fulfilled um, these um, passages here. Cameron, if you don't mind, would you read those verses for us, please? Yes, Exodus 12, beginning in verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to to what each man should eat. You should divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male of year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it until morning, but whatever is left until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat in eat in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborns of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall before, (coughs) excuse me, will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Thank you, Cameron, for reading those uh, first 13 verses of Exodus 12. If you jump down a few verses to verses 21 and 22, notice here what it says. 
It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. And then also, verse 46 of this chapter talks about something that uh, we, don't even, we don't think about that often. In verse 46, it says, It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. So when we think about the crucifixion being uh, foreshadowed, if you will, by the Passover here in Exodus chapter 12, thinking about what God was about to do, He was about to pass over the Israelite nation. He was about to redeem them. And they had to slay that lamb and allow for its blood to be on their house so that way God would say, okay, they've done what I've commanded for them to do. I've got to save them from, their, from this plague that's about to happen. Yeah, you know, you think about the sacrifices that went on here and that will go on throughout the Old Testament for the sins of the people or in this way providing an escape, a salvation, if you will, uh, to those that, that do what God says in this manner. It's an unblemished lamb that has done nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And even here, it, I believe it said it would be in the house for four days or right. so, mm -hmm. kind of giving that uh, attachment to it. Right. You see this, this, is, this animal did nothing wrong for you. There's no reason it should die when you think about it like that. But God said, this is for, this animal has to die for your sins. And how much more so? And, and let me back up and say, that's something that we're not used to today. Right. Uh, we don't see animal sacrifices like they did back then. I think that it would have been an, a tough thing to see and think about, well, this poor animal has done nothing wrong, yet it's going to have to die for me. How much more so is it uh, to Jesus? You know, how much more? Not only is it a human that dies here, but it's, it's God's Son, the Son mm. of God that is dying right. for us here. And he, in the way that he dies, it just so many things point to this and, and should bring the emotion and and the thought process of, of how horrible this, this event is, but how mm -hmm. gracious we are for what he's done for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like how you bring up the attachment uh, that's involved with that lamb there. I mean, sit and think about the people that knew Jesus during his lifetime. Uh, his mother, his siblings, his followers. And for him to preach to them for three years, you can imagine the attachment they had. And then to see that, that the Lamb of God, uh, as we'll read about here in John chapter 1, if you don't mind turning there, uh, just think about the attachment that these people had to Jesus and seeing him die and how hard that must have been on them. And yet in John chapter 1, we see right out the gate of this book how John the Apostle, mind you, not John the Baptist, but rather John the Apostle whom Jesus loved, he said here, in John chapter 1, as he's in the wilderness, he's doing his ministry. And we see in verse 29 how John the Baptist says, the next day, it says here that the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Obviously, John knew that Jesus was God's son, but he also knew he was meant to be the sacrifice well before it would happen. Absolutely, and that really does connect uh, this Passover lamb to uh, Jesus here as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right. Uh, Not just um, a temporary, but he's going to take away all the sins of the world Mm -hmm. uh, through what he will do. Absolutely. Very good point. Um, as we as we look, I want to encourage you to read the account of the crucifixion. It's one of the most moving ones. We're not obviously we can't read it for the sake of time here, as we're kind of wrapping it up. But I encourage you to read that and see the emotion. It's it is such an amazing story. And it's an emotional story if you read it. And it's a captivating story to hear what happens to Christ. It's something that we cannot tell near as well. We could sit here and describe it and say all of these things about it. Yeah. But please go read it for yourselves because the appreciation you get from that is much better than what we can, um, can say here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. So if you want those references, the one that we were going to read, uh, but for sake of time, we will give to you to read on your own time, is found in John chapter 19. And we encourage you to read verse 16 and go down to verse 30. And just take, take the time to read that particular account, but also read the other gospel accounts as well, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when you read the, all of those accounts and just consider what Jesus endured on the cross, you will see how painful it was. But as we were saying earlier, how he was able to fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament that we've considered from Exodus 12 and from Genesis chapter 3, from Psalm 22 that we started out with. And you will see that this was just something so horrible, but yet it has ramifications for you today. Now, people will tell you that what you read about in the Bible is a bunch of fairy tale. It's a bunch of myth. But as Cameron was saying, this is something confirmed by history. Yeah, and and you ought to, I encourage you to read some, uh, to listen to some of the other podcasts that are going to give evidence. One of them will give evidence for the resurrection itself, pointing to um, these things to show evidence for some of these events. That that one will particularly talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Right. Something uh, those evidences there point so strongly that these are real events that happened. Mm-hmm. That, that Jesus did die for us. Absolutely. You know, as we try to wrap it up here, we talk about how does this apply to you and me today? What is the significance that, that make this so uh, so important to you and me? You know, we're commanded to give, uh, we're commanded first day of the, of the week to remember God's death mm-hmm. and to remember him, remember what he did for us. Right. He instituted the Lord's Supper, as we call it, uh, that night before he dies. Um, that was part of the Passover, actually. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, with his... The emblems, the unleavened bread, representing his body, and um, the fruit of the vine with his blood. Right. Significant that we remember that, mm-hmm. as the first uh, century disciples did then, 
we remember that still today. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you think about passages like Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 where it says that they uh, came together, this is something that was divine in origin. It's something that was started by God. It wasn't something man-made. It was something that they did every first day of the week. Because if you wouldn't plan on missing any of your physical meals so that way you don't starve, you need to think about uh, what you think about the Lord's Supper or Eucharist or whatever you call it. And just remember that how God told us to remember His Son's death on the cross is very, very important for us spiritually. Again, thinking about how this applies to us today, we understand that uh, in John chapter 3 and verse 16, we know that God showed us His love in giving us His Son. In John chapter 3 and in verse 16, this is a verse that you could probably quote by heart, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Sit and think about what that is saying. People will tell you today that the God of the Bible is one that's mean, He's awful, He's just this God that seeks to zap you every time you do something that's wrong. Well, that couldn't be any further from the truth. That verse is basically saying, this is how you know God loves you. He sent His only Son into the world so that way you could believe in Him and have everlasting life as a result of it. Now, love, we studied this at a local congregation I was privileged to speak at not too long ago. We talked about how this love was one that reached out to us. And seeing God's love for us by giving His Son on the cross, He was reaching out and saying, Reach, I'm reaching out to you. I want you to have that relationship with me. And that is the best thing that anything could have, that this world could ever have happen. Is that the God of the Bible is reaching out to us and saying, I want a relationship with you. Because all these other religions... I think Cameron would agree with me on this. All these other religions, they're saying, no, you've got to reach up. You've got to try to get to, you've got to, try to, get to the deity. But God said, no, I'm going to reach down to you so that way you can have that relationship with me. And in sitting and thinking about that, he wants us to be reconciled to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you don't mind looking there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is one of my favorite passages really. We see that Paul, in talking about reconciliation, notice here what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, or beginning in verse 11, rather. Notice here he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We're not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And Cameron made mention of that earlier. Continuing on in verse 16, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we think about the cross and its significance, we've got to understand that Christ was the vehicle, if you will, that God wanted to use to say, I want to be reconciled to you. I want to have you be in this relationship with me. And notice there he says that it takes place only in Christ. It's not in any other man. It's not in any good moral teacher like Gandhi or Muhammad, but it is in Christ. Because Gandhi and Muhammad, just as a couple of examples, they're dead. They are people. They are, they, that's all they were, was people. But Jesus Christ of Nazareth, He's the Son of God. And as the episode about the resurrection would tell you, He rose from the dead. And you can go over to the Bible lands, you can go to Israel and you can see His tomb, but you won't find His body. It won't be there. And so when we think about that reconciliation that is in Christ, you've got to figure out how to get into Him. We talked about how, to, how believing leads to eternal life, but let me encourage you in your own time to also read this passage. Romans chapter 6, in the first seven verses. Because He tells us there about how we can be able to get into Christ and to be able to access that death that He died on the cross. And He tells us that this method is by being baptized into Christ. And there's a lot of people that will say... Yeah, ahead. as we, you know, symbolically die to our sins that way, as Christ mm -hmm. died on that cross. Yeah, we encourage you to read those passages and think on these things. Think, think on the significance of what Christ does here on the cross. And um, I, we encourage you to go back and read those, especially the story mm -hmm. of the cross, and think on how horrible... This, this event was how horrible our sins are that led him to have to be crucified in that way. Uh, it's such a, we praise God for, mm -hmm. and, and though it is such a horrible, horrible thing he had to uh, endure on that cross. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And again, if you happen to have any questions whatsoever about what we talked about in this podcast or any of the episodes that you've heard, don't hesitate to email us because we would love to help answer any questions that you may have. And we sincerely pray that God bless you and your studies and all these things. That was a great lesson, Trent and Cameron. Uh, some things that we really need to know, um, you know, because most people would agree, well, almost all people will agree that Jesus Christ was a real person who died on the cross. And what does that actually mean? That, so that, that's a good, that's a good, uh, a very good discussion to help people know exactly what it means, uh, how it was uh, prefaced, and you know, what it, what it, specifically what it means to a Christian. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, next episode will be episode 5, and that will be our, ne our next current event.